Hey, happy Father's Day, and we appreciate our dads, our MCC dads, and the influence that you have uh, uh, on the lives around you. And listen, I said on Mother's Day that we weren't able to celebrate moms the way we're used to doing, and I'm going to tell dads the same thing today. We're not able to celebrate you the way we're used to, the way we want to, and so what we're going to do is we're going to have a celebration of parents uh, here this fall, and I hope you'll be able to be with us that day. But today, uh, I hope you caught our children's ministry uh, that, w- that dropped online earlier this morning, how they honored dads with dad jokes. And if you didn't see that yet today, I mean, you really need to check that out. And so I hope that you will. And, uh, but I thought it would be good to do the same in this room. Because I'm assuming we're all, we've all heard the dad jokes. So I'm going to start them. Let's see if you can finish them. All right? So these are classics. Classics. Dad, did you get a haircut? Got them all cut. There, seriously. Listen, you're not a dad if you haven't told that. So uh, we need to work on that. All right, so... What time did the man go to the dentist? Tooth hurdy, right? Okay, uh, what do you call cheese? I'm sorry, wait, this is for one dad in the room. Bill, you told it this morning on children's ministry video. This is for you. What do you call cheese that is not yours? Nacho cheese, that's exactly right. I know. Uh, people here are crying. They're laughing so hard. I hope you are at home as well. I think that's incredible. <laughs> you know, people say they pick their nose, but I feel like I was born with mine. Uh, so that was all me. That was just for me, all right? Yeah, now, there's a new one. You can use that one today. Uh, by the way, my name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Thanks for joining us today for Father's Day and honoring dads. And next week, uh, we are looking forward to having both of our morning worship times uh, available here on campus and at 11 o'clock online as we will uh, moving forward. Last week, we began a series, and I hope you got a chance to check it out, uh, called Live Generously, and we are looking at the ministry of Paul. And uh, perhaps... Uh, one of the most influential leaders of the early church. We're looking at his ministry to see how our lives, if we mimic his, if we follow his example, how our lives can influence uh, the world through the generosity of our lives and our faith. So for Father's Day, what I want to make sure you notice, because we did this intentionally, we're using the same text for Father's Day we used for Mother's Day. Uh, I don't want you to check this out. It's on your notes on the Version Bible app if you've got it. Uh, they'll be on the bottom of the screen as well. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as, I, as our ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So the Apostle Paul, uh, the greatest missionary, one of, if not the greatest apostles, is nearing the end of his earthly life. And he writes the last of his New Testament letters to Timothy, who is his protege. 
Uh, and I don't know if you notice, he's, he's even a little bit more than that. In verse 2, he calls him, my dear son. And he's writing this final message from a prison cell in Rome. Now listen, Paul has been in prison before, sometimes in shackles, sometimes under house arrest. Uh, but this is his final incarceration. This will be his last stop before he sees Jesus face to face. And there's this thing that Paul realizes that all of us have or will realize as we get older. We realize this in families. One generational line will move to the front as their children grow up and have grandchildren. And then that line of people pass on. And then their sons and daughters move up and have children of their own. And then that line will pass on. And honestly, I never thought about it when I was growing up. When you're growing up, you don't think about that sort of thing. But it has become incredibly apparent to us in our family as we have lost loved ones that have gone on ahead of us. They were in the line in front of us. And I just want to say what's true physically in our families is also true spiritually in the church. I say that because Paul is speaking in this letter as one who knows where he stands in this progression. And he's reaching out to the one who is coming in line behind him. And again, I just want to say, Paul and Timothy, we're not merely friends. Again, in verse 2, Paul addresses him as his dear son. And I want to make sure you get this, because Paul was not uh, Timothy's biological father. But it is true to say that he was his spiritual father. And if you missed that last month on Mother's Day, I want to remind you how this came to be. It goes back to the book of Acts. If you want to mark that, Acts chapter 14, Paul is on his first missionary journey. He has healed a man who was lame from birth. He became an instant celebrity. Actually, they called him a god, and he tried to tell them that was not the case. And it, interestingly, this celebrity is short-lived because there are some out-of-towners who have come, and they are causing trouble. They don't like Paul, and they turned the crowd into a mob. Look at what happens next, verse 19 in Acts, in Acts chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe, and they preached in that city, the gospel in that city, and won a large number of disciples. And then they went to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And then just a couple chapters later, chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby. It's five years later, by the way. So I think we're five years down the road. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So Paul and Silas are back in town, right? There's a, a young guy there now uh, whose name is Timothy. His mom is Jewish, so is her mom. So grandmother and mom are Jewish. Timothy's dad was a Gentile. And Timothy's mom and grandma passed their Jewish faith on to Timothy. Uh, and it seemed that during Paul's first visit, he helped Timothy's grandma and mom realize that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and then they passed that on to Timothy. Five years later, Paul's back, and Timothy has not only grown physically, he's grown up in his faith as well. And I want to be real clear about this. Uh, this is why Paul calls Timothy his son, because Paul helped Timothy come to faith in Jesus. But I want to recognize this as well. Uh, Tim, Paul's not the only, or Timothy's not the only one Paul calls his son. 
He also would go on to call Onesimus uh, his son. When you read the book of Philemon, you'll find that. When you read the book of Titus, you'll find out that he calls Titus his son. And when he writes to the church in Corinth, he writes this, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father in the gospel. So check this out, because it's really important for us today. Like Paul, I live generously when I invest my faith. And you can kind of continue that thought in someone else. Paul took Timothy under his wing. Now, because Timothy's dad, his biological father, was Greek, and there's no evidence ever given that his dad ever came to know Christ, uh, Paul filled the shoes of a spiritual father in Timothy's life. I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to follow and watch Paul do ministry and to see what it was like for Paul to follow Jesus. And maybe you can, because you didn't get to watch Paul do that, but you did have a dad or maybe a father figure, somebody else in your life who showed you what it's like to follow Jesus. And I just want to make this very clear, especially to the dads in the room, but really to all of us, for our children to want to learn to love God and follow his word, They need to see that our faith is honest and that we want to read and follow God's Word. The faith is important to us, and it's it's who we are when people are watching and when when we think nobody is. And I love the prayer in Genesis chapter 32, all the way back to the first book of the Bible. One of my favorite prayers. It's the prayer of Abraham's grandson. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me. And I'll tell you what, I wanted my kids to grow up to be respectful. I wanted them to grow up to be responsible. I wanted them to grow up to become contributing members of society. But more than anything else, I've lived my life so that one day I would hear them say that the Lord of my father is the Lord of my life as well. And I'm thankful that they have. And it's interesting to watch because now I'm watching them pass their faith on to their children as well. But to hear that, I knew that I had to be the same guy at home that you see on Sunday mornings, because they see the guy who's at home. And they they observe him and his actions more than the guy they see on Sunday morning. And they would know if there was a disconnect between the two. You know, according to Leadership Journal, when a brother or sister comes to Jesus first, three and a half percent of families will follow. So there's some influence. When a brother or sister comes, three and a half percent of the time, the rest of the family will follow as well. When mom comes to Jesus first, 17 percent of the families will follow. When dad comes to faith first, 93 percent of the families come to Jesus. And listen, I'm telling you that not to diminish anyone's influence on anyone else, but dads, I am letting you know the weight of our influence spiritually in our kids' lives and the, 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 lives, the, the lives of kids that we get to influence that aren't ours biologically, but they could end up ours spiritually, and the lives of adults that we get to influence. I'm working with two men right now to help them grow in their faith so that they can help other people come to know Jesus and grow in their faith so that they can help other people come to, and so on and so on. That's the way it's supposed to work. At MCC, we say we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, who, and you get the, the idea, Right? Listen, let me give you two important pieces to that. Here's the first. Investing my faith includes setting the pace. It means being the example of what a mature follower of Jesus looks like. 
So in chapter 3, Paul says it this way to Timothy. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and my patience, my love and my endurance. So Paul is setting the pace and then he's encouraging, he's challenging Timothy to live this out by keeping up with him and, and emulating his lifestyle. You've probably heard uh, someone say that Christianity is only one generation from, extinct, from extinction, and that may be oversimplifying it, but the fact remains, dads especially, God intended for us to be the spiritual thermostats for our family. That's our task. So if we're modeling the priority of God in our lives, if we're men of joy, men of prayer, men of gratitude, our homes will have a strong spiritual foundation. But when those things are absent, when we go to church, but none of the rest follows, not always, but often our faith will not be passed on to the next generation. And really, it's just that simple. Here's the second. Investing our faith involves growing from child to partner. So when Paul uh, is referring to Timothy in the letter he wrote to the church in Rome, he says this in chapter 16, Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you. So Timothy, I just want you to notice, Timothy has gone from being his son and being a student to being his colleague and being his co-laborer. Peter Drucker, who is the guru of uh, management, great uh, management, said, there is no success without a successor. In his book, The 21 Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell said, succession is one of the key responsibilities of leadership. And then he would go on to say this, achievement comes to someone when he's able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he's able to empower his followers to do great things with him. Significance comes when he develops leaders to do great things for him. But a legacy is created only when he puts his organization into the position to do great things without him. Listen, we cannot afford to drop the baton as we pass it to the next generation. Raymond Woodward said this, it's in your notes as well. We're in desperate need of leaders who will pass the baton while they still have the strength to cheer. What I want to make sure you notice is it's not just our job to raise up, equip, and encourage, and then support leaders in the youngest generations. Our job is to be their biggest cheerleaders. Because true success is not achieved unless there is a successor to continue succeeding. And that principle is not found in leadership books. It's not found first in conferences that we have in our country. It's found in the Bible. Moses led the children of Israel to the brink of the promised land. But he was succeeded by Joshua, who led them on in. Elijah anointed and appointed Elisha, who received a double portion of his spirit. Jesus chose the twelve to carry on the mission of the kingdom, and then they in turn appointed others to follow them. Paul prepared Timothy. That's what generous living looks like when it comes to our faith. And that's the way, listen, that's the way it's supposed to work. And if it doesn't, we have failed. And success will end with us. And the last one out of the room can turn off the lights. That's why our value of generations is so important to us. We are passionate about showing the next generation who Jesus is and helping them carry the mission of Jesus from today into the future. Honestly, it's why we, even as we open our building uh, uh, now, 
we're missing our next generation being here with us in our children's ministry. We're thankful to have them in the room, by the way. Man, it's good to have these guys in here. Uh, but we are so looking forward to having our next-gen ministries in the building with us. Brad Lumenek, in his book, uh, H3 Leadership, said, the ceiling of one generation is the floor to the next. Think about that. <laughs> That's why the next generation is so important to us. It's passing on our faith. It's preparing the next generation to lead God's kingdom forward on earth. The church is the hope of the world, and we have to be intentionally passing our faith and the mantle of leadership. Now, on Mother's Day, I reminded you of a passage in the Bible from Psalm 78 that pictures the family as a relay race of truth, one generation handing the baton of faith off to the next. I'm going to remind you of it again on Father's Day. Psalm 78, verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will, utter, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we've known and things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and then they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in you. I would not forget God's deeds. I would keep his commands. You know, on days like today, perhaps it's easier to remember that our children will take the message of Jesus to a place where we will never get to go because it will be beyond our lifetimes. It's into the future, beyond our lives. And our hope, our goal, as we intentionally live our lives in such a way that we get to hear a little voice at some point, maybe, echo our faith through theirs. Yeah, that's the best. In his book, Fearless, Max Lucado tells of a Sunday morning, he's sitting in uh, his pew waiting for communion to be served. And in their church, they do it a little differently than we do. They pass the bread and then they pass the cup separately at a second time. And he says he's waiting and he hears a small boy's voice behind him say, well, what is that, daddy? And Lucado says he listened to the father explain in hushed tones the meaning of the bread, and then he prayed. He said it was quiet behind him until the juice came by, and they heard that little boy's voice again, ask, what's this, daddy? What does this mean? And he said again, the father explained, and, and then he prayed. Lucado said when he got up to speak, he turned to give that dad kind of a knowing smile, and he realized that the dad that was sitting behind him was David Robinson, uh, now retired, but at that point, an NBA player for the San Antonio Spurs. And on his lap was his six-year-old son. Less than 24 hours earlier, David had led the Spurs in scoring in a playoff game. In 24 hours, he would do the same thing in Phoenix. But sandwiched between these nationally televised high-stakes contests was David the father explaining to David the son the meaning of communion. <laughs> just like right now, because that's what we're about to do. 
And maybe, parents, you'll get the chance to explain to someone, even today, in this room, at home, you'll have the opportunity to explain. Listen, it's not just what we're about to do. It's why we're about to do it. And what difference this makes in our lives as followers of Jesus. Because every time we take communion and we hold that bread, it reminds us of his body that was broken. And every time we take the cup, the juice, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we get to explain that to our children in the hopes that one day they'll explain it to their children and their children yet to be born so that they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, and they would keep his commands. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for moments like this when we are reminded uh, as families, as a church, as followers of yours, individual followers of yours, of those who are in our proximity. Geographically, they are within our sphere of influence. And they, they don't just hear our voice. They actually watch us in action. And they know, they know if what we sing on Sunday morning is true Monday through Saturday. And they know, they know if what we listen to uh, and then what we talk about when we come together like this as the church, Father, they know if it's true or not, or if it's just something we do once a week. So God, help us as your followers, as men and women of God, as we remember now, Jesus, what you, what you did, it's not just about what you did, it's why you did it and how it affects our lives. This act is so much more than just the behavior of taking uh, juice and cracker. It is a reminder that we are followers, Jesus, of yours, that you have and continue to forgive our sins, and that our allegiance is first to your kingdom and to your name. And so we bow our knee to you now, that all who are around us can make no mistake about who we belong to. And God, we pray that we will influence the lives around us that they might come to know you as well. Hear your words. Find out what you've done, not just in Scripture, but what you've done in our lives so they would put their faith in you as well. And Father, we pray this uh, in the name of your Son, Jesus, who gave his life for ours. Amen.